Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 87 and we are recording on June 27th. I'm Amanda Nelson and I'm here with Jen Northington and we are coming to you from Book Riot. I didn't, com- I didn't properly edit the intro read, <laughs> which is why I paused, because it says, I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson. It's the Amanda Show. <laughs> incorrect. Well, I mean, it's correct. But, I know. didn't notice until you started to say it, and I was like, wait, that's not my name. <laughs> nope. Nope. No. doodle. No. So how's it going? Oh, it's going. You know, yeah. laid up mm-hmm. with a sinus infection yesterday, so that was super fun. Ooh. Super duper great. Everything's Summertime fine sickness now. is the worst. It really is. Summer colds are the actual worst. They're awful. So what are you reading? Well, since I was sick, I read like 14 books. <laughs> but I picked one to talk about, okay. which was my first male-male regency, I'm pretty sure. Ooh. Yeah. It was The Ruin of a Rake by Cat Sebastian, and it was super good. I've heard really good things about her, but I have not read her yet. Yeah, it was really sweet. Like, the... The heroes were very um, different personality types, which I always Mm. enjoy. Like, one of them is, like, this very, you know, this guy who's basically manipulated his way into the upper crust of society, but his father was, like, a merchant, so he's not titled. Um, Mm. and and, And so he, like, is very correct in all of his behavior because he wants to, like, you know, orbit the fancy... Regency parties or whatever, <laughs> the fancies. and the fancies. He wants to be fancy, and then the the rake in question is this, of course, titled guy who has spent a long time just like not giving mm. a, a what about anything, and uh, and and of course, you know, there's personality conflicts, uh, but it was really lovely, and and also this was interesting. Obviously, like they could have been jailed or executed. I mean, probably mm. not if you had a title, but otherwise, like you could go to jail for being gay um, in the Regency period. And she like addresses the issues in a way I thought was really well done. So that. What about you? What are you reading? Sold. Okay, y'all. <laughs> yeah. I'm so conflicted about this book. <clears throat> I'm listening to the audiobook of Behind the Throne by KB Wagers, which is a like epic space. What do you call it? Like a space opera um, based around East Indian culture. And so it's interesting and I like it. I'm enjoying the story, except I'm listening to it on audio, which was a horrible mistake (laughs) because so the author is a white lady, which fine. I, I, whatever. But the, the, um, the narrator for the audiobook is also a white lady. So she's putting on these really, really thick and kind of just bad mm. you know indian accent and but i can't stop because now i'm like i kept waiting for it to get better and then i waited too long so like <laughs> now i'm in it and i can't stop because i have to know what happens but, yeah the plot was good on that one but i had yeah. i'm so glad i didn't try to listen to the audio i also was no. like nervous about appropriation but it was a very good plot i will say i just assumed i guess 
that a book that is so obviously about Indian culture would have an Indian narrator. Yeah. Like that they would, but no, because publishing. Really? So it's just really bad. Like the audiobook is really bad. The book is fine. If you want to read it, that's fine. But like, don't listen to it on audio. <laughs> anyway. Note so to self. that's what we're reading. Um, so for those of you who are new, like I said, this is a personalized reading recommendation show. So you can send us your reading recommendation requests for whatever. If you're looking for a read-alike or you're traveling and you want to read a book about the place you're going or you need a a gift or a recommendation for your book club, anything, you can send those to us. Um, you can email them to us at getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can drop your question in the form at the bottom of the show notes um, for the post on the site. Uh, if, if your question is time sensitive, please note that in the subject heading of the email or in the first line of uh, your question if you leave it in the form. If, we, uh, if we've answered your question on the air before, we will probably email you back with a response or a link to the show where we answer it or, or new suggestions if we have those. We just don't want you to have to wait forever um, because if we've already cycled your question through. So that is how the show works. Jen's going to read us our first question, tell us our first sponsor, and then we will get going. All right. The first question is from Caroline with a K, who says, my husband and I are going on a belated honeymoon adventure at the end of August slash early September. We are starting in London, then heading to Croatia and ending the trip in Tuscany. I'm looking for books set in these places. I typically read contemporary fiction and psychological thrillers. I gravitate towards realistic, sorry, no Game of Thrones, not set in any of those places, I'm pretty sure. Although I would read Croatian Game of Thrones. I know, I was just thinking. (laughs) Tuscany Game of Thrones, like every Everybody's too blissed out to fight, right? Like, they're just, like, eating food together. Um, Sorry. Okay, back to the question. I also enjoy a good memoir. Thank you so much for your recommendations. Some favorites. Tell the Wolves I'm Home. All the Ugly and Wonderful Things. Dark Places, Burial Rites, The Poisonwood Bible, and Deer Fang with Love. Okay, before we give you our recommendations for your honeymoon, I will tell you about our first sponsor, which is The Sisters Chase by Sarah Healy, as in, like, their last name is Chase, Sisters Chase, not... I guess there could be chasing in this novel. Okay, so what it's about is two sisters, as you might have guessed, who are left homeless by their mother's death. Uh, They have been operating a little seaside motel that's been in the family for generations. Um, And then their mother dies in a car accident, and the oldest girl, Mary, who's 18, finds out that they owe more in back taxes than the motel is worth. So they basically have nowhere to live. So Mary and her younger sister, who's much younger than her uh she mary decides to go cross country to find like a way for them to find a life um and she of course takes on the protection of her younger sister but there are things that have happened that she's never told her sister that may catch up to them along the way so it is uh it is a serious contemporary gripping novel uh about sisterhood and financial insecurity and also the secrets and how they twist our family lives and if that sounds interesting to you you should definitely check it out it's the sisters chase by sarah healy thank you so much for sponsoring the show all right what is your first recommendation for london slash croatia slash tuscany trip <laughs> all right so i picked a girl at war by sarah novick which is not honeymoony um it's not romantic or anything, <laughs> but you said you're like most of your favorites that you listed are very dark so i went with that and kind of ran with it um, so Girl at War is about a 10-year-old girl named Anna who lives in Zagreb, which is the capital of Croatia. Um, it's the summer of 1991, and so the violence from that civil war um, in Yugoslavia has like just kind of started. Um, she has a little sister named Rahala who is very sick. So she's a, she's a little sister like she's a baby. I think she's two when the book starts. Um, so her and her parents uh, take her sister 
to an international aid organization trying to get her out of the country so she can get medical help. And while they are doing that, they get caught up in kind of like the metaphorical crossfire of the Civil War. And there's this there's a big tragedy that I'm not going to spoil for you. Um, so you follow Anna uh, from that point when she's 10 in Croatia to 10 years later when she's living in New York. She's a college student. Um, she's a boyfriend, friends, a professor. Like she's trying to live a normal life, but she's hiding who she is from the people closest to her, um, including her foster parents and her uh, sister, who she has found. Um, and then you kind of take you follow her. She like flashes back to what happened to her after the tragedy of the Civil War and what happened. Uh, like she has appeared as a child soldier. It's just very um, kind of like dark and tragic, but she's 10. So like the way that she tells the story of the civil war is very much about like her personal experience as a little girl, um, and the people that she encountered along the way. And it makes it very, uh, well, I already said personal, but like she, she would like her search for her parents, best friends and what happens to like a little boy, she befriends on the road and all of this kind of stuff. So it's, it's a really narrow and microscopic look at the effect of that conflict on one little girl. Um, but it's, it's like so page turnery. I read it, I think in a sitting, uh, and I didn't know anything, like nothing about Croatia, Yugoslavia, the civil war, nothing going in. Um, and she does this really magical thing where she kind of educates you about the conflict along the way without assuming that you're dumb, (laughs) even though I like was like, I'm completely ignorant of the topic, but I didn't feel it going in or throughout the book because she does a really good job of outlining what's happening. So that's girl at war by Sarah Novick. All right, I picked you a London book, also contemporary and kind of serious, but given what you like to read, I think you'll dig it. Uh, It's Northwest, or NW, depending on how you read the cover, by Zadie Smith, who is the best. (laughs) Um, This is one of those tragicomic, I think is the right word here. Uh, It is set in Northwest London, which is like a very specific neighborhood, and it follows four people who grew up there, Um, Leah, Natalie, Felix, and Nathan, and And they all grew up, like, in this one council estate, and now they're grown-ups, and they have very different lives, and they all are, you know, sort of trying to make things work, and their lives are still intersecting in weird ways, Uh, and and it's just, it's one of those great books that's about, like, if you, like, if you think about the interesting by Meg Walter, like, what were you like as a kid, now you're adults, like, how do you still negotiate with each other, some of you are still friends, some of you aren't, Um, and then what you thought you were going to have like when you were growing up versus now what you do have and Zadie Smith is so good at just capturing that like tense mundane stuff that is you know like the fabric of everyday life and making it just compelling and worth reading about for however many pages the book is. She's so good. Anyway, uh, so, so I think it's just like a really cool close up view of this one neighborhood and these four people from it and, and how their lives are changing and what like daily life is like for them. Uh, which I think you could even like go, I guess you could go to the neighborhood. I don't know, but I'm not much of a walking tour person myself, but I feel like it'll give you like a slice of life from contemporary London, which might, you might enjoy. So that's Northwest by Zadie Smith. All right. Question two is from Amanda, who says, I'm having my first child, a boy, in August. I'm not with the father, who will remain uninvolved. The baby was unplanned, and I will be transitioning from a full-time job in downtown Nashville to a remote position in a tiny town in Ohio. I'm looking for books applicable to my situation, early 30s, single motherhood, liberal, cognizant of the need to raise a thoughtful, independent thinking, and respectful white son who's being born during a time when the country is under terrifying leadership. 
fiction or nonfiction welcome. Uh, can't wait to hear your suggestions. Okay, I went with Operating Instructions by Anne Lamott, which is the memoir of her um, pregnancy and the birth and first year of her life with her son Sam. And she is in, she was in essentially identical situation as you. She was uh, young. I think she might have been in her late 30s, but you know, still young. Um, she was a single mother. Her child was unplanned. Um, she's very liberal. She lives in California, though, um, so that that's a little bit different. But um, she was her son was born, I think, under the first Bush administration, which, in retrospect, <laughs> might seem a little bit sunny compared to what we're dealing with right now. But at the time, was fairly horrifying for its own separate reasons. Um, so I think a lot of what you are looking for, you will find here. Anne Lamott is a Christian, and some of the book is about how she found her church, which is very liberal and not at all like evangelically weird, judgmental. She's she's a hippie. Like she's just the hippiest, cranky, curses a lot. Um, she had a history of addiction and drug addiction and alcoholism, which she talks about in the book. Um, she talks about her decision to keep her son as opposed to to getting an abortion and then what it's like just being a single mother and having not a lot of family support, but having created this own community out of like the little old ladies in her church and her, her like hippie dippy friends in California who want to like bring her casseroles when her baby is born. But then also what it's like to, you know, be, um, by yourself as a woman raising a boy in a time when, um, the most vocal, and powerful people in the country are toxic men and like what that looks like. So I think you'll find it helpful or at the least comforting. When my boys were born, um, I read it like four times. So that's Operating Instructions by Anne Lamott. My suggestion is not quite as perfect for you as Amanda's, but I think you'll like it anyway. Uh, it is The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson. Maggie Nelson is amazing. She is so good at thinking thoughts and then turning those thoughts into beautiful language on the page. Uh, this is a memoir about her finding her partner and getting pregnant. Um, so she is with a partner and, and, but but she also ends up having a stepson, and then they do have another another boy. Um, and what this book is about is her trying to figure out what family means. Like, what does it mean to be in the relationship that she's in? What does it mean to start a family with her partner, uh, who is, as as she puts it in the book, a butch auntie. Like, she's <laughs> like she's not with a transitioning person, but, you know, her partner is taking testosterone. And anyway, um, so so it's it's kind of, she spends a lot of time thinking about how, to combat the feeling that you're doing it wrong if you're not in the classic heteronormative, you know, a man and a woman having kids together uh, situation. So it, it and and it's it's very frank. Um, there's a lot of sex on the page. Fair warning, uh, if that's going to bother you. Um, and and I think that it, what what I found one of the most compelling compelling things I found about this is that she interweaves queer and feminist theory in very beautiful ways. Like she'll quote from something you know from Judith Butler or Audre Lorde or whoever. But she makes it relevant, and you don't have to know those theories to take away what she's trying to get at. And and it's just I just think there's a lot of food for thought here about like making like finding family in any way that works for you, uh, and 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 in giving yourself a grounding in theory that will help you feel like you have thought about this and you're doing it intentionally, which it sounds like is something that you're looking for. So that's The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson. Everybody should read it, really. She's so good. Co-signed. 
It's so fetched, man. It's just great. There's like so much in there about whatever. I we have feelings. <laughs> yeah, I do. I have a lot of feelings. Like there's this whole section of like ruminations on being pregnant and feeling like you're basically like possessed by an alien while also trying to make art about your own experience as a human being. Like it's just great. Everybody yeah. should read it. It's uh, okay. She's so good. She's so good. <laughs> All right. Our next question is from Nikki who says, I'm a college professor and my wife and I are expecting a baby in July. So I'll have a semester off for the first time in a long time. While I'm sure most of it will be spent sleepless with a baby, I'm also hoping hoping to get in some good reading for fun. In the summer, I tend to love ridiculous, sun-soaked literary fiction like The Vacationers and Seating Arrangements. Otherwise, I read slash listen to a lot of sci-fi, fantasy, and LGBTQ lit. I loved The Argonauts. Hey, hey. And would <laughs> love to read more about queer families or parenting. I also recently read The Expanse series and All the Birds in the Sky. All right, Amanda. Okay, so I latched on to the ridiculous and the sci-fi part of this question uh, and went with Touched by an Alien by Jeannie Koch, Koch? K-O-C-H, I don't know, Um, which is ridiculous (laughs) and amazing. And I don't want to overstate how tired you're going to be when when your baby is first born. Um, So I think that this is like just a page turner. You won't have to think any thoughts. It's just fun and silly and great. It is a science fiction, like urban fantasy alien romance. It's very much like if the men in black and mashed it up with Doctor Who and then added a lot of sex. So it's like perfect for, you know, sleepless, uh, crazy, I just had a baby stuff. So it's about a woman named Kitty who, I think she's at jury duty or something, and she like steps out of the courthouse. She's doing something mundane and boring and is a witness to like an alien attacking innocent people. She doesn't realize it's an alien. She just sees that it's like this person who's a big jellyfish on his back and is like a like a demon looking whatever anyway so she on in on instinct like purely just on instinct takes a pen and like stabs it and kills it and so she saves the day and these men in black dudes roll up and like kind of kidnap her essentially like um so she uh kills the guy and then gets taken away like hauled off by these men in black except the men in black are all gorgeous like model (laughs) gorgeous and won't stop flirting with her especially this one in particular who like immediately proposes marriage um they have a lot of banter it's just really great and then they turn out to be you know not harmless but they're not there to hurt her uh they're there to like recruit her into their secret mission of saving the earth and it turns out that they're all aliens these men in black and they have set up a whole society here to help defend humanity from these invading aliens and the the invasions are getting um larger and larger in scale and so something is obviously happening so she has to help them save the day her parents get involved randomly which is great her dad who's like so really good. into gardening <laughs> he's like secretly or not secretly but like his, he spends his days you know puttering around in the garden and and then she ends up having to like defeat a giant alien slug and his like, well, you got to put some salt on it is super helpful. It turns <laughs> out it's, just, it's great. It's great. And I, it's a doctor who ish because they're, they're aliens. Uh, they, have, they have two hearts. Um, they figured out not time travel, but how to move like faster than light. Anyway, it's just fun and goofy and great. And I love it. So that's touched by an alien by Jeannie Koch. Something. <laughs> Cosine. So fun. There's also 13 books in that series. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe more now. So if you need, if you just need to keep going, you can do that. Um, my pick for you, I focused on the LGBTQ plus literary fiction plus sci-fi fantasy um, and picked What Is Not Yours Is Not Yours by Helen Oyeyemi. 
so in terms of being like sleepless and a little bit out of it, these short stories are very surreal. So it's not like you have to be following very closely because they're not going to make 100% sense anyway. So you're fine. Um, and then there are a ton of queer characters on the page in these stories, which was it's just delightful. And there's a, a sort of linked set of characters who show up more than once who are part of a really lovely queer family that have their own story in the collection. And Helen O'Hammy is just great. She's She's got an amazing brain. She writes beautifully. And the stories are so, they, they're like a moving target. Like the first one opens up and it's some guy taking care of his best friend's fish in his apartment. And, and like he keeps talking about this fish and you're like, oh, okay, the fish is going to be weird because this is magical realism. But then it's like, no, it turns out the doorways in this apartment are weird. But then, no, it's about something else. And like they keep moving in really beautiful and surprising ways. And I just, I cannot say enough about how good this collection is. Like it's so good everybody should read it um but especially if you like ma magical realism and are looking for queer characters like this is this is for you so that's what is not yours is not yours by helen oyeyemi okay question four is from Anne, who says my boyfriend is super into star wars we first bonded over a love of reading but the vast majority of his already read pile is star wars novels and there's nothing wrong with that but i've enjoying trying to expand his palette He'll try anything. He just never knows where to, uh, where to start. He's already borrowed the Lunar Chronicles from me and really loved it. I also gave him the Night Circus, but that one seemed to go over less well. His comment was, I can see why you love it so much. That's so, that's so nice. Good job. <laughs> the thing I'm noticing, however, is that my personal collection leans more towards fantasy and fairy tale retellings than sci-fi. I'm just wondering if you had any ideas of sci-fi that isn't Star Wars that he might like. He especially enjoys explorations of people in the Empire. Um, I know he was really excited for the recent book about Thrawn, and he loves Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. Okay, so other than just more Claudia Gray, which is what my answer would be, um, I went with Saga, Volume 1, by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Uh, this is a comic book, um, and it's on its... I just read the seventh volume, I think, so there's plenty for him to get into. <clears throat> the thing that I love about this, it is very Star Wars-y. It's about two seemingly normal people who get swept up in the drama of an intergalactic war that they think really doesn't have anything to do with them, except they're both in the military, so it does have stuff to do with them. Um, they come from two different species that have been at war with each other for years and years and years, and the war has expanded and expanded and expanded until it includes basically most of the known universe. Um, and against these odds, and against the law, and against all of their cultural norms, these the two characters, the two main characters, Alana and... I never remember her husband's name, but whatever. Um, Alana Marco. and... Marco! Marco, there he is. I love Marco. I say that. He's just, he's got horns. He's great. Um, so they fall in love and they have a baby in like the first page of the book. And it's very graphic, just to say, just putting that out there. It's graphically violent and also very graphically sexual. Um, so they have a baby and then they have to go on the run from both of their governments um, because they have created this quote unquote half breed and they're, you know, their love is illegal and all of this great kind of grand, epic sort of sci-fi stuff that feels very Star Wars-ish, except it's way more vulgar and profane and hilarious. So I really think that anybody who likes Star Wars would really enjoy this comic book series. Um, so that's Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Cosign. All <laughs> the love to Saga forever. Also, be forewarned, it's super sad. They are not afraid to kill their darlings. And this, yeah. that book has made me, like, very upset more than once about oh. character. I, I was so 
sad. Okay, anyway. But it has Lion Cat. And I mean, Lion Cat is the best. There are so many reasons it's the best, but it's yeah. also very sad. Just be forewarned. Okay. Lion Cat is like the, the Chewbacca of, yeah. of Saga. He's just like always there. Yes. Doesn't ever really speak, but nope. he's the best. Well, he says lying when necessary. Okay, so my pick for you is The Collapsing Empire by John Scalzi, which is the first in his new series. So he's got the Old Man's War series, which I also think your boyfriend might like. Um, but this is his brand new book. It's just out. It's really enjoyable. And it is about a, like, universe... I'm trying to... Universal government? I mean, they. it's like multiple star systems, all under this one government called the interdependency and the way they get around in here because there's no faster than light travel in this concept is that there's this thing called the flow it's like an extra dimensional field that can transport you quicker um but it's very sort of finicky and you have to be really good at you know navigating it and and it's tricky and then it turns out that the flow is not as stable as they thought uh and and in the meantime there are all of these machinations by people in the political system who are jockeying for power, for wealth. And there are a few characters who kind of see the whole conflict from their perspective. So you get a merchant and you get a like a researcher dude who knows some things that people don't want other people to know. There's like, you know, secret science, which is always fun. Um, there is no magic in this concept like Star Wars, but basically everything else that's Star Warsy, like a very lived in universe and you get space travels and smugglers and space pirates and you get, you know, royalty and complicated government stuff. That's all in here. Um, and because John Scalzi wrote it, it's also very funny. His characters are very bantery, very quippy. Uh, and there's a nice, you know, diversity on the page. Something I noticed when I was reading this book is basically none of the characters are described physically. Like, really, I don't think hardly anyone gets a description of what they look like, which was interesting. Um, yeah. And because it's also very far in the future, the names are kind of like a mishmash. Like, you can't tell what anybody's, what, you can't even guess. Like, is this person white or black or Asian? Or, like, the names are such a mishmash, you have no idea. So it's very open to your own interpretation of who the people are, which is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, so, yes, so there's lots of good reasons that he should pick it up. I think he'll like John Scalzi a lot, and if he does, there's more where that came from. So that's The Collapsing Empire, which is the first book in The Interdependency by John Scalzi. All right, before we get on to our next question, we're going to do our next sponsor, which is Owl Crate. Owl Crate is a monthly YA subscription box service for bookworms. Every month, they send out a newly released YA novel, as well as a bunch of fun bookish goodies that go along with the book. Um, there's a different theme every month, and each month it's very it's like a unique new theme that they've thought up. Um, lots of the items that are in the boxes, I really like this part. They're all like handmade and from small businesses, like Etsy sellers and things like that that they've sourced. And most of them are exclusive. So even if you really like the Etsy seller, or you know you see somebody else has a subscription and you like the thing that's in their box. You can go to that Etsy seller's website, but you're probably not going to be able to get it because most of the stuff is exclusive to Owlcrate. Um, Owlcrate has also begun sending out books with exclusive cover designs just for subscribers, which makes them even more special and kind of a cool collectible thing if that's what you're into. They've also recently launched a new book box just for kids. It's called Owlcrate Junior. It's very similar in concept, but the books and all the stuff that come along with the books are tailored to kids between the ages of 8 and 12. And at least one of the goodies that come in each Owlcrate Junior box, they're usually three to five, at least one of them is a usable activity, something to kind of inspire kids to create something or build 
build something or use their imagination or go outside and explore that kind of thing. So it's, it's a, a nice balance between sit inside and read and go outside and do. So I like that a lot. Um, so if you go to sign up, you can, um, use the book, right, or use the code book, right at 10, I'll squish together as one word, use the discount code for 10% off. And thank you for sponsoring the show. All right, question five. It's me. Okay, this is from Eliza, who says, I have a yen to read more short stories, but I find I'm finding myself at my wit's end trying to find any good collections that suit my reading interests. I recently fell in love with short stories recently reading Diving Bells by Lucy Wood, and then I absolutely loved American Housewife by Helen Ellis. Both these collections contain relatively short, engaging short stories. I think the common factor is that they are primarily about women and are thoroughly charming. There is darkness without being too much of a downer, but they're not sappy chicken soup for the soul type reads, which I don't judge, but don't enjoy. I don't know if I have far too particular tastes or I just don't know where to look next. I tried to read some Neil Gaiman short stories and I'm not really thrilled so far, although I'm not giving up yet. Okay. I am recommending for you, uh, based on your love of American Housewife by Helen Ellis, Single Carefree Mellow by Katherine Heine, which is a really entertaining collection. Oh man, she's so funny. Okay, so the, I'm now I'm like flashing back. She did a talk at BEA in which I, I like can I I don't know that I can say it on the air, but anyway, um, it was about post-sex facts is how I'm gonna phrase that. Um, that sometimes like men will say like randomly after sex like did you know and it was I had the more conversations about this phenomenon than I've had about almost anything else uh that week so anyway this collection uh, as you might guess from the title single carefree mellow is about women who are mostly single um one of them is in love with both her boyfriend and her boss uh somebody else is having an affair and like talking to the person she's having an affair with while he's on his way to marriage counseling Somebody else is in love with their roommate. Um, it just, like, they're really, they're all about situations that are very real. Um, but Catherine, like, puts this twist on them that just makes them so entertaining. And also, like, some of them are on the dark side. Um, but it's really well done. She balances it so well. And I, I think it does have a lot of that Helen Ellis feel to it. Because it's all very straightforward and realistic. But then it has that, like, slight touch of just, like, oh, man, this is this is too much. So I think you'll dig it. Uh, I think it's worth giving a try. So that's Single Carefree Mellow by Catherine Heine. Okay, I did the opposite and latched on to your love of diving bells, and I went with Tender by Sophia Samatar, which is her new collection of short stories that I just recently finished, and I love it so much. So Diving Bells is kind of a magical realism sort of collection of short stories, but they're they're all set in like the northern reaches of England and the UK and are, you know, have that kind of cold European thing and are based a lot on uh, myths from that region and tender does a similar sort of thing but with north african culture so there's a lot of um stuff set in like the desert uh, there's uh one of my favorite short stories is called is, is it ogres of north africa or something like oh, that oh yeah that's a good yeah, one it's so great and it's just like a guy who's listening to a traveling uh, or listening to his servant give like a catalog of all the ogres of the area and what they do. Um, and they're like particular tricks and the, the, the tricks they pull on humanity or the violence they do to humanity and stuff like that. And it's said in such like this matter of fact way in the same way that like in diving bells, she talks about like selkies or whatever, just in this, like, and then people went on about their day until they were kidnapped by a seal, you know, and it's that kind of thing. Um, but with like 
like the gin and things like that. Um, and oh man, there's a, st- a story in there called uh, Account of the Land of Witches, um, which is one of the most magical short stories I've ever read. It's about a slave girl who accompanies her master to the land of the witches where he wants to sell them things. Um, and she escapes. And then she and he publish competing narratives about their experiences in the land of the witches and her escape from him. And it's just, oh, it's so good. It's so good. So it's got that dark, but not um, not dark, like violent or gory or even really depressing, just dark as in like not about unicorns and rainbows. Unless the unicorns <laughs> and rainbows are coming to eat you kind of a thing, um, which I really like. So that's Tender by Sophia Samatar. Cosine. I loved that collection. Oh, it's so good. I was I had it by my bed and I was reading one every night, which is what I usually do. I keep, I keep like essays or whatever by my bed and do that. Except I would see, find myself like four stories in and be like, oh, that's not what this is supposed to be. <laughs> it was really great. All right. So question six is from Sal, who says, my older sister recently asked me for book recommendations because she feels like she doesn't have any hobbies. She's in a different place in life than I am, so I don't know what to suggest. She works, is married, and has three kids under the age of eight, so she doesn't have a ton of free time. I think the last time she read fiction was 12 years ago when we were living together, and I had my books all over the apartment. Back then, she enjoyed historical fiction set in South Asia. She and her husband are now in the process of building a house. She's always been very interested in interior design. She also, uh, oh wait, loves Pinterest and tells me I should have throw pillows. You should have throw pillows, that's true. She also loves to cook and took a baking class once. Any ideas? Okay, I will just keep going. Um, I picked a classic, which I really, really love, called The Painted Veil. It's by uh, W. Somerset Mom. And I picked this because it's short. <laughs> and if your sister has three kids and works and is like has a life that's really busy like that, um, she might appreciate that. It's like under 250 pages, but it is so beautiful. It's about a couple, um, a woman, I think her name is Kitty, if I remember right. I don't remember her name. Yeah, Kitty Fane, um, who in the, in 19, in the 20s, she marries uh, her husband, Walter, not because she loves him, but because she needs to get away from her mother. Like, her mother is driving her bananas. So she marries, like, the first boy she encounters who expresses interest in her so she could get out. Uh, He takes her to Hong Kong, where he lives and works as a uh, doctor and a scientific researcher. And while there, she just gets really bored. Like, she doesn't love him. She never loved him. Um, And she gets bored basically out of her mind. She starts having an affair. He discovers it. He really loves her um, and so is kind of torn apart by this. And in a what is essentially a murder-suicide attempt, takes her deep into the heart of China uh, where there's a cholera outbreak happening, ostensibly so that he can research what you know the outbreak and help stop it. But really, he's just kind of hoping that they both die. Like, he does this to punish her. But while they're there... Um, their relationship does like a complete 180 and they she starts to like see him for who he really is. It's just a very like slow burning, uh, really lovely and moving story of one marriage falling apart and then rebuilding. Um, it's not happy <laughs> by any means and it is set against this backdrop of like a horrible tragedy. Uh, but I just love it. And it's a movie. So if, if she decides, you know, I don't have time for the reading, she can still see the movie, which is great. Um, so that's The Painted Veil by W. Somerset Mom. I accidentally also picked a marriage falling apart book. <laughs> Sorry. We're not trying to say anything. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm casting no aspersions. Um, so this, the one I picked is The Girl from the Garden by Parnas Forutan. And it is under 300 pages, so on the shorter side. Um, and it is a debut novel about a family of Persian Jews in early 20th century Iran. So kind of geographically adjacent to what she was reading for a while there. Um, and it is about, so this family, uh, Asher is the head of the family. 
family. And his wife, Rahel, uh, is not... She's not, she has not given him a, a son. So, she, you know, basically that means she's failed because that's how it was. Slash still is in some places. Um, and mm. so, uh, so she is, like, trying to figure out, you know, what can she do? Is there even anything she can do? And her place in the family structure, because, you know, there's there's multiple, there, the two brothers live together, and then their mother, and then there's other wives, and so it's, like, a very, you know, intense structure, and she's kind of getting pushed towards the bottom because she hasn't given him a son. Um, and her sister-in-law is pregnant, um, and she thinks her husband is interested in somebody else's wife, and then he decides you know, what he's going to do to get himself a son. And it's all very intense. And like, um, it's really, it's also really atmospheric. Like the descriptions of the house and the neighborhood are beautiful. Like you really feel like you're there seeing everything and smelling the smells and, you know, hearing what's going on, you know, the birds and the market people and all of those things. Uh, so it's very immersive. And then I, you know, I think that these like sort of family a little bit soap opera-y, like, really intense family stories are very compelling um, because – so it's harder – you get really sucked in, hopefully, um, and it sounds like that would be good for her since she doesn't get to read a lot. You want to be sucked right in. And, uh, yeah, it's just – it's a really – I didn't re- – I haven't read much else like it, um, and I thought that the family was really well drawn and that the drama was really well paced, and I think she should give it a try. And it is out in paperback now, so not, like, a huge expense if she's nervous about – or uh, you could definitely get it from the library. So that's The Girl from the Garden by Parnas Forutan. Let's see. And the next question is from Amrus, who says, I'd like to buy my dad a book for his upcoming birthday. The problem is that while he enjoys reading, he prefers short novels with straightforward writing styles. I think that this is because he's dyslexic and gets a little overwhelmed when texts are too flowery, quote-unquote, in their writing style or have a reputation for being intellectual. He tends to only read a couple books a year, usually the ones I give him, so I feel a bit of pressure. I've had a lot of luck in the past with John Steinbeck. He liked The Pearl but loved Of Mice and Men. He enjoys books with historical elements. He's from Northern California, and he gets a kick out of reading books set in landscapes that he knows and loves. All right. I'm going to stop talking. Okay. Um, I had... I honestly had some trouble with this one. I love Steinbeck, but all of the read likes I could think of were, were super long. So I took it to the contributors, and Liberty recommended Train Dreams by Dennis Johnson, who just recently passed away. So it might be a good time to, to read him. That sounds kind of morbid, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so Liberty knows of what she speaks, and I think she's really nailed it with this. So it's a novella um, about a man named Robert, and it, it's like a life-to-death narrative, but short. Uh, so it follows him from the 1880s through his life... Um, in the like the depression in America to the sixties, uh, and great, his Robert is a manual laborer. Um, so as the title implies, he works the railroads. He works as a logger. He does a lot of like transport, building stuff. You know, like earns by the sweat of his brow. Very manly kind of mountain man. Um, and he has a family, and then like a tragedy strikes, and you follow him as he responds to that sort of tragedy, which I won't give away because it's a spoiler. Um, so it is on the surface about. Like, you know, the the independent masculine American spirit overcoming tragedy and difficulty during a really hard time um, and a really tumultuous time in American history out in the West. But he's not a cookie cutter sort of character. He's not like, I don't not not to like denigrate Cormac McCarthy, but he's not a Cormac McCarthy character. Like he's not out there with a gun 
taking his masculine anger out on the landscape. He's like, <laughs> is it a nice person? Um, and so it's really a book about the American myth. And that feels very Steinbeck-ish to me. Like, so all, I would say, of Steinbeck's books are about exploring the American spirit and the American myth through his characters. And that's very much what Dennis Johnson was trying to do here. So um, Liberty recommends Train Dreams by Dennis Johnson. Yeah, this was a tough one. Um, I I have to apologize. I thought my recommendation, I just checked the page count and it's longer than I remember it being, but hopefully that means it reads fast. So I'm recommending California by Eden Lepucky, which is about a couple in California, as you might guess, because of the title, uh, who they, they're in like a near future, you know, where the economy has collapsed and they have decided to get out of L.A. because it's just not a safe place anymore. And so they're living in a shack in the wilderness, uh, just the two of them, trying to, like, you know, make it work. And and it mostly is. Um, they're, they're mostly working. Their relationship, you know, they have each other. They're working through their sadness about how the world is basically over from what they used to know. But then Frida gets pregnant. And so they're suddenly not sure that they can do this, you know, off the grid, totally on their lonesome thing without help. Uh, So they set off to find the nearest settlement and they find this community that has like, you know, decides to let them in. But of course, this is a, you know, near future apocalypse kind of novel. So nothing is as it seems. And they have to make some decisions about what their priorities are and what who they're willing to trust, um, trusting each other, trying to get back on the same wavelength when other people are involved. It's a really, I thought it was, I, I really thought it was shorter than it. It's like almost 400 pages, but it really didn't feel that long to me. It reads pretty quickly. Um, and it's very, like when you say Steinbeck, I think of like, nobody's really the good guy, but you kind of root for them anyway. And it's complicated and they're, you know, moving through a landscape trying to figure things out and those are all traits that this book has um and since he's from california he'll probably recognize the geography uh which he might enjoy and i don't know i thought it might be an interesting change of pace for him i it's i think it's you know it's very straightforward the prose isn't you know overly elaborate um and the characters are are also very identifiable so maybe worth a shot so that's california by eden lepucky Okay, our last question is a short one. It's from Jonathan, who says, I love reading stories about siblings, particularly twins. Got any suggestions? <laughs> yes, indeed, we do. I am in the middle of the book that I'm going to recommend to you right now. It's called Dead Letters. It's by Kate Dolan Leach. And it's so fun, and everyone is the worst. And I love it. <laughs> uh, so this is one of those, like, it feels rich people problems-y, but they're not, they're not actually rich, which is one of the problems. Um, so maybe formerly rich people problems everything is soaked in alcohol and xanax and betrayal and i just love it so the twins in this book are ava and zelda um and ava is our narrator she is of course unreliable um so she has run away from her home her home is watkins Glen, which is in the finger lake district of upstate new york her parents owned a vineyard um, which is failing and in the eve, or on the uh, the tail end of a tragedy, not a tragedy, but like a betrayal, her twin sister Zelda betrays her in a way that she finds unforgivable. Ava runs off to Paris to like get her PhD and forget her screwed up family and you know move on. She doesn't talk to her sister for two years. Um, her sister emails her, Zelda emails her throughout this period, 
um, apologizing and begging her to come back and opening, like uh, pulling back the curtain between what their life is like. Their father has run off. Their mother is slipping into dementia. The vineyard is going under and Ava just refuses to come home because she's just mad. Um, and then Zelda dies. Zelda dies at a fire on the property. Um, her mother sends her an email and this is how she finds out that her sister is dead. Um, her mother sends her an email that's basically like, she's, she's set the barn on fire. Now she's dead. Please come home because I can't find my pills is essentially how it goes. Oh, boy. So she, yeah, I know. So she returns home um, and then look, you know, looks around at the barn and gets this feeling like Zelda's not dead. She's totally faking this. Like, it feels very like, and this is typical of her sister, like to pull these horrible, elaborate pranks. Um, and then after a few hours of being at home, she gets an email from Zelda. Uh who is obviously not dead, but there's no way she can prove it. And so she has, Zelda sends her on this like elaborate scavenger hunt to try to find her. Um, and is in doing so get her to forgive, get Ada to forgive her for what she did that made her run off. So it's like, uh, it's a mystery and it's, it's a mystery thriller essentially, except you as the audience know that she, that the, the, um, the victim isn't actually dead and the cops, Think that she's been murdered, and it's just like what everybody's drunk the whole time <laughs> because vineyard and alcoholism, and so nobody can be relied on. And it's the characters are all really, really smart and like precocious, which sounds like a weird thing to say about grown up people, but the way that they speak is really great. Um, anyway, it's just a great summer read. So that's Dead Letters by Kate Dolan Leach. I picked Her Fearful Symmetry by Audrey Niffenegger, who is the person who wrote The Time Traveler's Wife. Um, but this book is a whole lot darker. I read the whole thing on a plane coming home from BEA Yay. when it came out. Yeah, just like the whole thing. Uh, so it is about two twins, Julia and Valentina. Well, it's about two sets of twins. So Julia and Valentina are teenagers. They're young. Maybe they're in their early 20s. I can't remember. Um, and so they and their aunt Elspeth dies and leaves them her London apartment. And they're American and they never really knew their aunt. Uh, but they're, you know, they they are like, oh, cool. Okay, we're going to move into we're going to move to this flat in London that we now own, which is right on the border of a cemetery. And so they get to know the other people in the building, uh, a bunch of whom have really also complicated lives, and they start to become sort of embroiled in the little sort of politicking and 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 uh, drama that's going on in the apartment complex. And then on top of it, they discover that maybe there are things about their aunt that are relevant to today, and maybe she's not exactly dead. There's like a, it's a ghost story. This is a really intense ghost story. Uh, so I, I just found it totally like, like brain candy. Like I just, I had to know what was going to happen. Um, and it's very eerie. You know, there's the cemetery and there's maybe this ghost in the house and there's all of this family secrets stuff and there's the neighbors and oh it's very like rear window meets I don't know what ghost story but it's there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot going on here um and and it's got it does have two sets of twins which is interesting so that is her fearful symmetry by Audrey Niffenegger oh, Audrey Niffenegger I can say her name I can <laughs> well we do often have problems with that, so. <laughs> and that's our show Hooray. huzzah Thank you all so much for listening. Please go rate us or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier for other people to find. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. We're going to change this a little bit. I'm yeah. going to direct you. If you want to talk to me on social media, I'm going to direct you to my Instagram account, which is at I'm Amanda Nelson. 
because I'm not really doing the Twitter so much anymore. Jen, where should people go? Yes, I am mostly on Tumblr these days. Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL.tumblr.com. Come and say hello. And we will talk to y'all next week. 